0: gonna start with Connor McDavid.
1: Did you an intro?
0: I'll get into the intro. Okay, okay. This is the intro. <laughs> okay, no problem, I try to mix it up, you know, the whole templated, welcome to the Old Spills podcast. Just try to be different. Just because it's Monday morning, Monday morning, October 7th already. Anyways, Connor McDavid coming back from a PCL injury. I would say he's not 100% speed yet. However... Boy, I think ninety percent or whatever percent speed looks just fine to me.
2: I'd say he's a hundred percent speed. I'd say his hands aren't quite caught up yet. Okay, but, but I think speed wise, I think he's he's fine. I think you know he had four. He was going through LA's defense pretty easily on Saturday night. Now LA didn't have a great defense. They got a lot of young defensemen playing on their their team too. Once you get past, you know, Doughty was playing with an eighteen-year-old Swedish defenseman as a partner, mm-hmm. so. But yeah, he was going through them left and right. So ah, he's fine. So, and props to the coach who looked at the roster and says, Dry Settle on his own line? Nah. I'm going to put him, Dry Settle and Connor, on the same line. And both have five points in two games.
1: Well, McDavid, I think you're right, Jim. His hands, the timing is still not there when it comes to his hands and the puck. I think the speed, A to B, in a straight line is there. Uh, I'm not sure what the speed is like when he's turning and twisting. I think you're right there, Craig. I think there might still be more left, which is kind of scary to think about considering the way he was, he was blowing around guys in, in Los Angeles. And you just got to shake your head if what McDavid did last two years and how he he's improved on that this year. He hasn't even reached his prime yet, which is kind of a scary thought when you're thinking this guy is still two or three years away from his actual peak, peak prime. Um, and it's scary with the things that he's doing on the ice. It, it does, you know, Jim would no matter, it does remind me of Gretzky when you just go, oh, what did Gretzky do today? Oh, he got four points tonight. He got three points tonight. You go, I think. Yeah, Gretzky after a while. A bit more than-
2: after a while. I mean, Connor now is like, if he gets two points a game, as he's done so many times yeah. in his career, you go, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. So he gets two points. So it's like Crosby when he was, you know, early on in his career too. It's, yeah, yeah. they're supposed to get two points a game. And if they only get one, you say, I hmm. don't yeah, know what happened.
1: He had a bad night. He had a bad point.
2: night. He only got one. You know, We point it out now when Connor does not get a point in a game, you're thinking, ah, really didn't have a good game tonight. He didn't even get a point. So, yeah, he's yeah, he's fine. He's got five points in two games.
1: Just a a pleasure to watch. And if you saw that game on Saturday and just... You marvel at some of the stuff he did, and and it's funny. We've been watching this guy for four years now, and, and there's still times where you just marvel at the stuff he did. The way he picked Rudy, Doughty's pocket, that one goal. And and they not only picked his pocket, but had the presence of mind to slide it over a dry and for that quick goal past pass to Cassia. You just shake your head, and you're like, wow, this guy's he's a pleasure to watch. And the Edmonton Oilers and Edmonton Oilers fans, I think, are, are extremely, extremely fortunate. Unbelievably, he
2: market. also drew three penalties in a game. And in the past, there was lots of times where at the end of the night, you were saying, yeah, where were all those penalty calls on him? You know, and he drew three penalties and uh, one really early in the game too. So that he ended up, well, he didn't get the he didn't get the penalty because he scored a goal, you know, on, on a delayed penalty. But yeah, he's uh, he's fine. And if, if he's fine, dry settles fine. So at least they got that <laughs> two-prong attack going and, right now it looks like they can outscore their mistakes. But last game I thought they made lots of mistakes but they scored 6 goals and that that hasn't happened to all of them.
0: And it is mean we're 2 games into the season and uh you know obviously there's still 80 regular season games to play. So whether or not we can expect the same pace from McDavid, Drysdale, anybody, Cacassian on the scoring uh, side of things, you know, once we start playing some of the the heavier hitters when it comes to the top dogs in the NHL, which we don't have a lot of here. There no, the there's of the no there's no heavy
2: hitters on this trip. I mean, no.
0: what's going to happen? Very interesting
2: in Long Island. They won the Jennings Trophy last year for the fewest goals allowed in the league 196. The Islanders they've given up three goals in two games. So the Oilers won't have as easy a, a route to scoring goals against the Islanders, I don't think. Uh, but then the Islanders don't score much either. So um, that'll be that's the the number one test on the road trips. The only team that made the playoffs last year on this road trip with the Rangers in Jersey and Chicago.
0: And as you know, for as much as I'm sure they didn't want to see Robin Leonard leave the island, you have to give some credit to their defense for some of that Jennings trophy as well, I would expect. And that defense is mostly intact. I think they they play the
2: game like Dave Tippett wants his team to play the game.
0: Oh, get a a good lesson and at least watch. You know,
2: because the Islanders the year before trots got there were terrible defensively and then you went in the first year they won the Jennings, 196 goals allowed so I think that's what Dave Tippett is looking for and as long as his goalie stays in his net doesn't give the puck away a couple of times as Mike Smith did uh, um, they'll be fine.
1: Yeah, this trip's going to be interesting for the Oilers because as, as they won their first two games but they won against opponents that I think are really going to struggle this year I think the Kings are really going to struggle this year They they scored five goals but I don't think the Kings rarely score that many goals. I think it's going to be a rarity. And then they can't keep the puck out of their net. I think Um, Jonathan Quick is not the same Jonathan Quick that he was two, three years ago. You're right, Jim. That defense is really, really green. They got a lot of young players on the defense, and and they're making a lot of mistakes. And up front, I don't think they have much beyond three or four guys. So I think the Kings are really going to struggle this year. Uh, The Canucks, we know where they are. They're still kind of in on the upward trend, but I think they still got some growing to do. So the Oilers were able to do a good job getting past those teams, but now I think going into Long Island, we're going to kind of see exactly what they have and whether or not those those support players who did a good job against Los Angeles, without those guys, they don't win that game against Los Angeles um, if they can do the same thing. And I think that's the key to the Oilers this season. It's not McDavid and Seidel and Nugent Hopkins. It's an Neal for all that matter. He looked pretty good on Saturday as well, I think it's going to be the bottom two lines where they can contribute a goal a night. And I think that's going to be the the, the telling factors where they can get one or two goals a night, then the are going to be successful. If they don't contribute on the scoreboard, then I think the owners won't be able to score their mistakes like they did Saturday.
0: Well, I mean, think that's, that's obvious even when you consider last season when we had career years from both McDavid and Dreisaitl and never mind Cassian and uh, and Chaseon and, And then well out of the playoffs, Um, no secondary scoring, very little from the bottom. They have to do more
2: than just tread water. Mm -hmm. You know, as Dallas Aikens would say, they have to chop wood too.
0: Did we see any of that on Saturday? I mean, I know Nygaard scored and Gaten Haas set him up. Nygaard
1: scored, Jericho set up a, a goal. I think, I thought towards the end of the game, they played a lot better. Um, I think they still kind of, some of those guys are still feeling their way around the league, which is understandable. They haven't played in the NHL and they're, they're talented players. And I think, um, that's going to do a, a world of, of good, of confidence for those young guys to, to be able to contribute in a six, five game. They, it's not like they got, they got the fourth goal in an eight, three win. So they, they, they were able to contribute in, in a big win and they got big goals for the orders when they needed them.
2: They need a uh, they need, uh, rather than two fourth lines, they need a third line. You need a third line that can score some goals. And, you know, if Haas comes on, it looks like he's, you know, he's an offensive type center uh, with Chase on perhaps on that line and somebody else, then maybe they can score some goals too. I think the fourth line is pretty intact. I think it's going to be Shea in with Kara and Archibald. That's a good penalty killing type line, you know, keep the puck in the other team's end line. But the third line
0: has to score some goals. Before we leave the offense, you know, I want to circle back to McDavid again. He scored 116 points last year. He's been trending upwards, you know, here he is in year five of his career. Every year he's gotten more and more points. Last three years, he's scored hundred plus. How many points will he get this year? Will he get even more than 116?
1: Well, I I don't see 130 being out of the question if it, the, if he stays healthy. I mm-hmm. think it, it, and um it just just the way he's playing, just the way he he can just take over and dominate a game. And it was one of those things where he just got the sense senses. Yeah, I'm not going to lose this game. When we're just going to go and he just took it up an extra level, another step. Like, um, I don't think that's out of the question if he stays healthy. Um, to challenge that 125, 130, um. But I think that's the key. And I think, Jimmy, you're right. The key is if he's getting those calls going for him this year, if he's going to get those obstruction calls and those those little hooks and those little holes and as as teams try to slow him down and he spends a, a lot of time on the power play, that's going to be good things for him. It's going to be good things for the Edmonton Oilers. And I think that was a key on Saturdays that before he would come through the neutral zone and guys would try to slow him down, guys would get in his way, guys would, would – basically obstruct them and, and the referees would turn a blind eye. So I'm interested to see whether this year they said, okay, listen, he's the best player in the game. If you're trying to hold him just because he's way faster than everyone else doesn't mean that's going to be allowed this year. And I think we saw a bit of that on Saturday.
2: And I think, to be honest, I think Settle's played better than McDavid the first two games. I think on both have five five points. Lee, uh, Connor had a really good, excellent second game, but Settle played really well both games. And he's got he's played twenty seven minutes the first game twenty six oh five the second game so hopefully they're not going to try to play him twenty six minutes every game because he'd be dead by U.S. Thanksgiving if that's the case playing forward. But
0: well, I think he was clearly their best player for for sure on Wednesday against the Canucks. I mean, obviously he's been playing all those minutes. It was it was very noticeable, and I mean, you guys were there. You don't want
2: to. Yeah, they talk. They keep talking like they don't really want. McDavid or Dry settle to kill penalties, but because Shane didn't play dry settle played two minutes and something in the first game and over three minutes and killing penalties in the second game plus the power play plus even strength that's you know the star players play a lot, but having them on both special teams and five on five is you probably don't want that, so um, hopefully Shane comes back and can take you know most of that. Penalty killing away from Settle.
0: As long as you're feeding him enough carbohydrates after the game and and whatnot, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: well, what I he's find young. It, What I find interesting is is last couple of years, um, Drysdale's gotten off to slow starts, and he's a self-professed slow starter. And this is well, this is a slow start. Yeah, well, this has been the opposite this year. He's gotten off yeah. to a great start, and and he looks like he's he's flying out there. So and he, him and Connor McDavid together just think the game on a different level, and then they execute. At a higher speed than everyone else does. That's what makes them so dangerous together. And even Todd McClellan said, I'd prefer them apart than together. They're just so dangerous together. And to me, that's a chip that every coach has. It's kind of like a joker card that you're going to hold off and not play it till you have to. But I think early on, uh, Dave Tippett has realized that this is his, uh, he's not afraid to play this card right away because he's going to, if he's going to go down, he's going to go down fighting with his his two best guys.
2: And he doesn't have to worry. This year, it looks like, if James Neal plays with Nugent Hopkins, he's got two-thirds of a second line as well. And, you know, if Nygaard looks like he's he's fast enough to play with him, at least he doesn't have to play Leon on a second line. And Connor and Nugent Hopkins actually has somebody on his line who might score a goal. So Leon can play the whole year with with Connor if he feels like it.
0: You, know, you bring up Todd McClellan. I was going to move on to Mike Smith, but... You know, it was Todd McClellan's first time back in Edmonton talking to the media, being at a game involving the orders, but this time he's the head coach of the LA Kings. And, they, you know, I think most people listening to this will probably have read what Todd McClellan had to say, uh, in response to questions from media about, you know, moving on from Edmonton and, and, uh, and whatnot. How was he to you guys?
1: Well, he was always great with us. He was great yeah. with us when he Well, came how was
0: in. he like was, on Saturday? He, when, or he Friday was Friday, Saturday. He was
1: good. I think I, I remember I asked him whether or not he, he was like happy to get that this game out of the way personally, because it was the first game and then he doesn't have to worry about it. Oh, making his return to Edmonton. And it didn't seem to him like it bothered him much coming back to Edmonton. He was more concerned with getting the King's first game out of the way and, and, and getting his team On hitting the ground running and I think the Kings were the last team to open the regular season so he was just anxious to get and so I think that took away from the the pomp and circumstance of him coming back to Edmonton after what he did here and and so he was excited to be back I know the team was excited for him the team wanted to get a win for him but I think he was just more excited to get going with the Los Angeles Kings and and Try and get this this franchise turned around and basically do in LA what he did here in Edmonton when his first couple of years got him into the playoffs. He got that team into the playoffs and got him back in the second round. And it's funny he went from a coach of the year candidate to someone who got fired. Two years. That's the way the coaching industry is, I guess, and, and nowadays. But he was he was more fired because the, the general manager was trying to trying to save his job. And at, towards the end, you could just see that you know Peter Shirley was just doing whatever he could to kind of try and stay afloat. And and I think. Unfortunately for the Oilers, that franchise took a, a big step back during that time. But um, Todd was great. Todd's a, a very smart coach, a very good coach, and talking going around the room talking to the Los Angeles Kings about it. They they love him. They 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 love that he's a teacher. They love that he he's not just a yeller and screamer and try to motivate and be a rah rah guy. He'll actually show you what you're doing wrong and how to get better. And I think a lot of that's refreshing for I think a lot of those guys in that room.
2: Yeah, you know, mutual admiration society with the Oiler players and the King players, and often coaches don't get that. Often when they go out the door, the players who are left on that team, they may say a couple of platitudes, oh, it's too bad that he got fired, but they're happy that he's gone and somebody else is coming in. But I think most people thought Todd did a good job, and this was the general manager trying to save his own job, so he fired. Todd, And and only one thing sticks in his craw that they could have done this so he didn't have to get on the plane going all the way to San Jose and and then turn around and come all the way home to Edmonton. So uh, that didn't sit terribly well with him. And uh, that fence with with Peter and Todd, I don't know if that fence has been mended or not, but uh, um, if they see each other during the season, they probably have to talk about that.
0: Now, Mike Smith. We knew he was a puck handling goalie uh, before the season started obviously That's his, that's his MO in a lot of ways. Um, but his wandering ways did result in a couple of goals on Saturday, but we're going to, I, that's probably something you're just going to have to expect is going to happen from time to time. I was watching the broadcast and someone on the Hockenet in Canada crew said, yeah, you can expect that up to a dozen times in a year from Mike Smith. He's going to be out of position. And the opposition's probably going to get an easy goal. Um, how You know, obviously the results was a win for the Oilers, but it could have been a different game if maybe he wasn't out of position. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I still, I like, he's confident and stubborn. He's not changing the way he plays. Mm. I like goalies that handle a puck and take the pressure off the defensemen. They get hit enough during the game going back for pucks. If you got a goalie that can play the puck. The defenseman, you won't find one defenseman that that gripes if he gives up the puck and there's an an easy goal because they're wear and tear on the defenseman when a goalie can handle a puck is is great for defensemen. They're taking far less hits than they normally would hit. uh, Taking the forwards, if they're smart, we're we're trying to find a hole too because he doesn't just pass it five feet to a defenseman, he's looking to pass it 25 feet to a forward. So I suspect there'll be four or five breakaways from Connor McDavid in the regular season where he hits, tries to hit Connor and stride at center ice. And uh, you're right, Mike was going to do that two times in a game is a little rare. Usually when a goalie gives up two goals like that in a game, he's coming to the bench. He's not still playing. But Dave Tippett's seen that before with Mike Smith, so he wasn't taking him out. So as long as it's not a, a nightly o- occurrence where... There's an easy goal. I think he the one he would like back is the one the first one where he passed, tried to pass the puck sixty feet, the one behind the net. That happens enough where a goalie goes behind the net, gets squeezed off the puck by a forward, and he throws it in front and goes in the net. Though the one where he's trying to go, you know, sixty feet, and Kopitar steals it. That's not a good play, and and a Kopitar. Is a, such a good player. A lot of guys just bury their head and try to shoot it into the empty net. He looked up and saw Dustin Brown wide open and said, No, I think I'll just pass it to Dustin Brown so, for an empty net goal. So, But it's not changing the way he plays.
1: I think we saw this in Calgary last year. I know there was one particular game where Mike Smith threw the puck away and it cost the, the Flames a game. And I think we saw it four or five times. And it, it, you just got to wonder whether the, the risk is worth the. The reward at times, and I think with Mike Smith, and he got he got fortunate that the Oilers were able to come back and score six goals and kind of bail him out there. Um, and, and you're right, defensemen love puck moving goalies, and 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 they love you know not having to go back and, and, and retrieve the puck themselves. But at what point does risk not is not worth the reward? And I think that that's something that that's the breaking point that the Oilers because you expect this like they're saying four or five more times this season, he's going to throw the puck away. It's going to make a bad player. He's going to get caught out of his net. It's just, it just happens with wandering goaltenders that that happens to get caught out of the net. And whether there's a breaking point or not, that's, that's going to be the interesting question. How many goals are the Oilers willing to let slide to have a guy that can play the puck behind the net uh, or move the puck up to their defenseman. And so if it evens out, maybe Dave tips says that's fine. It's going to even out in the end. You know, he's going to help us get, six goals and he's going to give up six goals or however it works. But I think it might get old really quick. Cause I know it got old in Calgary really quick. It, and then especially when the you know, fourth or fifth time that, that had happened, um, goaltenders are supposed to stop the puck. You you, your first job is to stop the puck. Your second job is to move it. And I think that's the, the, the big telling issue right now is, is how long before the patience runs out on these mistakes, these unforced errors, if you will. That, that he's making trying to make a play and and I guess you can give him props for trying to make a play you're right he's not going to change his style of play but it's up to the coaches and the players and the team to say okay enough is enough because they're there's going to be a point I think this year where someone's going to say okay enough is enough you can't stop we can't afford to give away goals he gave away two on Saturday orders were able to get overcome that but this is a league that's too tight, and there's too much at stake to start giving away goals. Well,
0: I think it'll be an issue the next time he gives up gives away a goal like that, and the Oilers lose by a goal. If it's because you know these are close games. It was a six five game on Saturday. Yeah, it's a tight league.
2: I think the I think apart from moving the puck to his own players and then trying to gamble and move it up ice, I think the thing that coaches like most about Mike Smith, is the opposing team knows they can't dump the puck in like they normally do because he can go out and get the puck as opposed to most teams where the goalie kind of stays in the net and just stops it behind the net and for this defensemen. So the forechecking part of the game when you're playing against Mike Smith is a little different and if you've got a team that really can forecheck hard, sometimes they, they're not, they don't come quite as hard because he can play the puck. So I think it's a balancing act for the coaching staff too. They like the fact that opposing team, their scouting report is such that they just can't dump it in like they normally would against some teams.
0: Has anybody asked Mike Smith how he's able to handle the puck like that or any? He's got a real short stick too. For I a, mean, does players. he have a glove inside of his catching mitt that he's able to grip onto the stick because obviously not every goalie can do that.
1: No, it's just practice. It's just a, he, he was, was in Dallas when Marty that. Turkle
2: was there and I think he probably watched how Marty handled the puck and he got really good at it too. I would say that if you took 10 goalies, seven of them just stop it behind the net and that's all they're good at. And there's three that are fairly good at moving it. And then there's the odd one who's really good at moving it.
0: Well, why don't don't goalies practice that more like like players work on their slap shots or their whatever, their stick handling? Why not?
2: They're just not good at it. Remember when Cujo was here. He had to turn his hands over to flip the puck to center. He couldn't do it with
1: it. The- yeah, part of it is too is is the way the goalies uh, where their where their glove is situated because sometimes goalie can just slide the stick down and shoot right. But if you're right, if Cujo is a left hand shot and he had to turn his stick over, it's a little different. So I think that plays a big part of it. If if, if the way the goalie shoots the puck, if you're if you're, uh, let's say you catch you catch with your left hand. Then, and if you're a right-hand shot, then you have to turn your stick over to shoot the puck out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But if you're, you know, if you catch with your left hand and a left shot, then you can slide the stick One thing
2: it. about Mike Smith, every time now there's an empty net. He's got to go for it. You, you're looking on the end. If you're watching on TV or you're in the seats, you're thinking, oh, he might score here. Because he can score. He can shoot it over the, the people with, you know, and get it into the empty net. So that's going to be very interesting. And uh, I, I kind of like the way he plays. I know there's, as Derek pointed out, there's certainly some risk to the way he plays. Um, but I thought as the game wore on, he battled and he made some good saves, and he didn't let the game get out of hand. Team came back, but but he wouldn't let the other team get two goals ahead to where you know where you were saying, oh, this isn't very good. We're going to lose this game if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan. So um, he kept in it and you know the old the best goalies say i don't care how many you give up at the end of the night they, they still got a w so they don't look they don't care what mistakes they make as long as there's a the win at the end of the night
0: now storyline heading into the LA game uh, coming off the Vancouver game was Adam Larson's injury he's out 6 to 8 weeks with a fractured right fibula so bone in his lower leg now he's out of the lineup and obviously the orders went through their they're shuffled to get Joel Person in the lineup now. How does Larson's injury change the the makeup of the defense?
2: Well, quite a bit. There's no shutdown right. defense pair anymore. With so you're Larson running with that. There, you're running, you're running, with, running with an old, a puck mover, Ethan Bear, who's played like 20 NHL games, and a shutdown guy who's a really good skater in Darnell Nurse, but is also physical. So they got two rookies in their top four. You know, Person and Bear. Uh, along with Clefbaum and Nurse, if if you keep the same third pairing with Benning and Russell, so that's a little risky. But Ken Holland is he refuses to just stopgap this and say, oh, he could be out to land in November. I better go and get a defenseman. Better go trade for Brandon. Well, Manning. he won't oh, wait. He won't. He, you know, he, as he says, he says, I'm not giving up a second round draft choice just to go and get some defenseman. Or I'm not going out and, they, and they'll say to me, yeah, you can have a defenseman, but we want Caleb Jones back. Just to say you've got a defenseman, and when Larson comes back, then what? You know, he says, eventually you got to trust some of your younger defensemen and some will turn out to be players and others won't. Same with the waiver wire. You can't pick up a Thomas Hickey, say, who gets sent down and say, okay, yeah, uh, he's Pretty good. But then you look at his contract and he's got a couple of years left at 2.7 million. And then you say in the summer, now what do we do with him? So I think, you know, I think you gotta live with what you got. Hey, they got a better defense than the Winnipeg Jets trotted out last night in in Long Island with no Josh Morrissey, no Dustin Bufflin, no Jake Jacob Truba, no Ben sharat from last year. And that their sixth defense when they played last night. So they're in worse shape than the Edmonton Oilers are. So play the young players and some will turn out and some won't.
1: Well, I think the situation with that, um, Ethan Bear, if he's going to stay in the NHL, he's going to have to get better defensively. He was exposed about three or four times against the Los Angeles Kings. And that just, he's a puck moving defenseman. He's a good power play guy. But if you're going to stay in the league, you got to be able to defend as a defenseman. And I think um, he did get walked around a couple of times so I think it's it's good for Ken Holland to say, well, I'm not gonna go get, I'm not gonna do a stopgap measure, but if we don't, then the season could be over by the time Larson gets back. And we saw that happen two years ago when Peter Shirelli refused to get a stopgap measure. He thought, well, our young guys are gonna fill the void, and they weren't able to do it uh, when they lost Sekra. No stopgap measure, they were out of the playoffs. By the time Sacra got back, it, the season was over. So. I think, then this is from Secker's knee injury in the playoffs. So he said, no, we're going to fill that void until Secker gets back at Christmas with some young guys. Try to do it. By the time Secker got back, it made no, it, it was pointless. It was moot because the season was over. It's good to say, yeah, no, I'm not going to give this up because I'm going to let my young guys try and fill that void. But you have to make the decision early whether or not they're going to be able to do it. You, can't, you don't have 40 games to evaluate whether your young guys are able to do it because there's no point getting Larson back in six to eight weeks. If the Oilers are out of the playoffs, if he's going to miss twenty-five to twenty-seven games, and at that point the Oilers are six games under five hundred, then it's on you for not doing something about it. They, they better recognize it really quick. Whether these guys can play, whether Pearson can play, whether Bear can play, whether Lagason, if they bring him up, can play. What are you doing with Brandon Manning? Are you ever going to play him, uh, or is he just that bad a defenseman that you have that you would rather play these rookies ahead of him? You have to do something because, and the team is going to look at it and say, okay. We can't sacrifice the year because we lost one defenseman, and I think there's going to come a point where you have to make that decision, and I'd hate to see that happen when, when Larson comes back and the owners are are chasing the chasing the season
2: again. You don't have to make the decision till the end of October, though. You've got three more weeks for sure. You don't have to do it. I I think you have to walk a fine. Nobody's trading you a top four defenseman, so you're not getting one of those. And so you're getting somebody's fifth or sixth defenseman. The orders already have a fifth and sixth defenseman. And then you have to look at how much you trade for a guy and he's got two more years left in his contract. You don't want that either when you've got all these young defensemen in the minors. So I think he'll, I mean, it's early. I mean, like I said, if at the end of the month and there are a couple of games under 500 and then he's saying, ah, and the guy's not the guy's gonna be out all in November, then maybe he has to go out and get somebody. But I just don't see I just don't see him giving up very much to get a defenseman. Not unless somebody's given you a really good defenseman. And I, su- I suspect puliarvi comes into play if you're looking for a defenseman.
1: Oh, maybe now you know it's been more aggressive. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're you're looking at it because, okay, I don't have to trade anybody on my own team, but I got this guy sitting in Europe, so um you know, if you want to give me a, a defenseman, I might give you this forward. So we'll see. Um, but then you have to find some team that's scoring one goal a game or something like that, and it's got too many defensemen. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: yeah, you have like to let if, it. You have to let it pass. Like out, if, he,
2: like I look at it, and I, I here, here's how I look at it. If say Johnny Boychuk didn't have two years left at five million dollars, you might say to the Islanders, "They don't score a lot of goals. You want Pulley We'll take Boychuk." you know, right shot defenseman, but he makes, Johnny makes a lot of money and he's 33 years old and he's got, you know, he's not the player he once was. So there's not many of those around. I mean, Holland's been around the block. I'm sure he's going down every roster and looking at it and going, ah, there's something, maybe I might be able to get something off this team. So, but he's not going to do it right now they are not 0 and 2, they're 2 and 0.
0: That's the Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to Oil Spills via Apple's podcast app or iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you may access your podcasts.